Vikram, thanks so much for joining me on the call today. My pleasure. My first contact with your work was Geek Sublime, The Beauty of Code, The Code of Beauty, your best-selling exploration of the creative process of writing code and writing fiction, published in 2014. Things in tech change really fast. How do the ideas of that book hold up for you? I like to think that they hold up hold up pretty well and that the subjects treated there are perennial, more or less. Um, I think something on my mind uh, that was on my mind back then, but which has grown really prominent uh, recently are, is, is the vast amounts of data that all of us give up to corporate powers and the government each time we search for something on the web or even look at it, each time we use our smartphones and how all that data can be weaponized, both in advertising and in political ways, which we've all seen. Right. That has certainly changed. What struck me when reading that book is that code is a set of instructions with a desired outcome and writing also a set of instructions with a desired outcome. We have to be pulled into the story, connect emotionally, finish the book at least. The creative process between writing and code isn't really the same, though, or is it? What's your view on that? No, it's very different. And the essential difference being something that I addressed in Geek Sublime at some length, uh, which is that when you're uh, writing code, you're trying to give very clear instructions to a machine. So any ambiguity that you introduce will lead to crashes. And nowadays, crashes mean that you can actually kill people. Whereas in literature, either in fiction or in poetry, you're trying to introduce a very purposeful ambiguity, right? So that this is why we are able to read the great poets again and again. Each time you read a couplet, you see a thousand different meanings in it. And so uh, I think that's what I like about going from one to the other is that one, you need precision and actual uh, complete non-ambiguity and the other, you can play with all the pleasures of ambiguity. I want to get into that a, a, a lot in a second because I read your, your um, it's more like an essay than a blog post, but your kind of uh, cradled beginning, middle, and end of publication last night. It's very interesting. So I want to talk about that. But our listeners can't see your workspace. I happen to be looking at it right now. But what is your workspace like and how do you adapt it at all when you're writing different projects or you just kind of walk in there and start going? Well, I said earlier, what you're looking at is organized chaos. So there's like a lot of books and papers and piles of papers, actually. The workspace remains pretty much the same. Uh, I work on three large monitors, which are next to each other. So uh, the center is where I write the code or write the fiction. And then on either side, I have my notes and, you know, my, my whatever I need to be looking at while writing. We're going to talk in a moment about the software you're developing, Grantica. And I have a big interest in this because I have never found a writing software that does everything that I needed to do. But I did read about a writer recently who uses these different softwares the way I do, which is to use cues, like changing pencils, <laughs> like changing notebooks. That yeah. I find that I use different software to write different projects. Scrivener for the really long-form stuff, um, Bear for the short-form stuff. I've tried Ulysses. I've really tried them all and experimented with them all. And I found, though, that 
it's helpful to me to switch the software, kind of like picking up a different pencil. Right. Does that make any sense? Do you do, do, you do anything like that at all? It does a lot, uh, but I tend to stick to the same tools for all of it, which is to say I use a word processor, I use a note-keeping program. For the fiction, I use a timeline uh, program so I can keep track of who, what, where, and when. But for me, the problem is that all of these things are disconnected. None of them actually talk to each other. And so what you end up doing is spending a lot of cognitive effort in trying to bring all of these together. And then you inevitably slip into errors, right, which actually make their way into print. And readers, at least when they're reading fiction, are usually kind about errors. They just write you an email, you know, that train doesn't leave at that time, right? And you knew that, but you forgot somewhere in there, right? So it'd been, uh, yes, it, it would be nice to have something that brought all of these different functionalities together. Right, right. There's this discovery process of writing a book, and you wrote in your blog that you must discover the narrative through the writing rather than plan it. And you learn about the characters and the story by writing about them. You even quote Joan Didion and a few others. She says, I write entirely to find out what I'm thinking, what I'm looking at, what I see, and what, I, what it means. Now, I read that, and of course, I almost froze in terror because I realize I probably write that way, but I am an obsessive outliner. I'm not a pantser, a seat of the pantser kind of a guy. I tend to outline maybe too much. And right. reading your essay, which is on the Grantico site, really started me thinking about, you know, there's probably another way where I think it was E.L. Doctorow who said, you know, the headlights are on in the fog and you can see just so far, but you realize you can drive the whole way like that. Yes, yes. And that was kind of an eye-opener for me. I hadn't thought about the long-form writing process like that. I'm right. totally willing to be a seat of the pantser for an essay or something that's, you know, a few hundred words, even a podcast. You know, I, I will write multiple episodes of a podcast with a rough outline. But the idea of starting a novel, <laughs> committing that much time to yeah. just exploring. So here's my question. Would you talk a little bit about how you write your way into a book? Sure. I should say that that I think the grass is always greener on the other side. I envy outliners. I wish I could do that. And I've tried and failed miserably. So for me, I always start with just a glimpse of a character, perhaps with a landscape and a, and a feeling about that landscape, what the character is feeling there. And I know nothing else. And so then I have to write into the book by following this character, discover him and her, discover his or her conflict, and then therefore then find out what the book is about. And it's absolutely terrifying, right? And so for instance, Sacred Games took me like almost 10 years to write. And I started just with a policeman sitting outside this strange bunker-like house talking to a gangster through a microphone. And I had no idea what was going on. And there are moments in there in that long process, like maybe even year five or six, where you still think, is this worth it? Am I going anywhere, you know, through that fog that is a destination? And then you figure out at some point the structure falls into place and then you know what the book is about and then you can start reshaping it through endless revision. Another thing that resonated with me that I've tried is someone once said, if you're working through the book, 
write yourself a really terrible first draft. Just release all judgment. Write it almost like a movie treatment. He did this, she did that, the door opened, they went in, they went out. Don't become poetic. Just get the story down. Yes. I found that kind of useful. I found yeah. that to release all judgment and just say, you know what? This is just the story. I just need to walk these people through the scene like I'm a director in a theater play. And I, I just need to block out these scenes and walk these people through it. And they don't really have to give 100% with their lines. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. All my first drafts are terrible, right? And and I leave big holes because there's parts that you follow that end up going nowhere. And so then you abandon them. And then what I found is that if I try and go back during that first draft and fix things, I end up in an endless loop. Um, and so I just plunge forward as much as I can. And then I get to the f- end of the first draft. And then it's all about revision. Uh, and And you hope you know what the book is doing at that point, what kind of animal it is, and then you can start to shape it. And I guess the metaphor that I use most often for writing fiction is that it's like growing a plant, right? If you try and force it too much into a predetermined shape, you'll end up killing it. Very true. Just to back this out for people, just to give a wide angle view, we're talking about this early stage of putting together a book and being quite free with it and being okay with dead ends and holes and maybe black holes, maybe huge holes and moving through it. But then there's a turning point. It could come a year or multiple years into the process. It could come faster where something kicks in and it isn't garbage anymore. Something happens where you as the writer, anyone as the writer who's good they look at all these puzzle pieces and they say, oh, there's actually a puzzle here. What is that transition like? Is that an aha moment? Is it a slow dawning? For me, uh, especially in terms of structure, the architecture of the book, it's a sudden realization. But then you look back at the book, at, at your manuscript and what you've written so far, and you say, I've been doing this all along. Why did it take me five years to discover this, right? Because you discover the patterns that are already inlaid into the book. And this sounds kind of, you know, woo-woo mystical, but I think you write with parts of your consciousness that are not um, accessible to you. Um, and so it comes out of some deep, dark depth, and, and then you have to discover it with your sort of conscious brain and then apply your intelligence to it right? You're, you're crafting. And so at some point, both of those impulses come together. Uh, the obsession that drives you to write that book in the first place, and then the ability to shape it. So this is a good segue, I think. Let's talk about your software project. Sure. Why did you get started with that? When I started writing Sacred Games, that was my third book. And I realized pretty early that it was going to be a big one. It has a 60-year timeline many narrative lines, more than 100 speaking characters. So tackling that old problem of keeping track of who, what, where, when was going to be a pain in the behind. And so I thought somebody's surely written software to do this. And I discovered that nobody had. So, and I think you can use kind of hacky solutions like the old time-honored index cards on the wall, your hand-drawn or software-based timelines, But the problem is, again, that none of this knowledge is attached to the text. And so that's what I obsessed about for nearly a decade. 
and discovered that it's actually a pretty hard problem. Attaching facts to text, uh, which has a very honorable and long uh, um, effort in coming, surprise to me, from mainly from the humanities, uh, because very early on in the 70s, as soon as uh, English department people, for instance, discovered computers, they wanted to ask questions of Hamlet, right? Like how many times does Hamlet speak in the text versus how many times does Cordelia? But it's not been very successful. So what we're doing is building something that we like to call an integrated writing environment that manages not just your manuscript's text, but also your characters, your, your events, the objects that the characters use. And the most exciting thing about it is that we built it from the bottom up to be amenable to reasoning. So that if you try and move an event, which is supposed to be after another one, so like the inquest must come after the murder, and you try and move it up, it'll warn you and prevent you from making a big mistake. So that's the whole idea. That's really amazing and much deeper than any other writing software that I've ever used, because most of it is about kind of keeping track of, you know, where's chapter one, where's chapter two. I could flip chapter one and chapter two, but it's not it's not a partner in the the planning of the novel. Right. Have you had any pushback from writers who say, hey, you're ruining the whole process. You're doing <laughs> yes. all the thinking for us. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. No, we've got a couple of those reactions because I think people are thinking that it'll uh, the software will over-determine what you're actually working on. And I, I really want to emphasize that it's not the case. We are not imposing any structure on the writer. And it actually helps, I think, in actually making mistakes that turn out to be very rich mistakes, right? That lead you into surprises and discoveries. The trouble with those using traditional software is that if on page 800 you realize that, oh, you know, I need to change this on page 600, you can't think through all the implications of changing a crucial plot point on page 600. And then, you know, it spends you, sends you into a vortex of, you know, essentially search and replace, which is a very clumsy tool. So what we're trying to do is build a tool that is supple and that uh, adapts to the writer's needs and enables you to concentrate on the creative stuff rather than doing bookkeeping and manual bookkeeping at that. True. Yeah. The, the way I remember characters is I would base uh, them on, say, one of my children. Yes. So I know when she graduated high school, I know in this, I know in that, but it's obviously quite limiting, but at least I don't screw up because I know I, those are memory, you know, I'm recalling memory things. Yes, when exactly. A hundred, you know, a hundred characters, you know, when you have yeah. a book like, like Sacred Game. Yeah. yeah. And I should say that in all parts of the globe, some very respected fiction is littered with errors, right? And, and again, I should say that errors are not such a big deal, at least when you're writing fiction. But what it indicates is the huge cognitive effort that the writer has to go through to keep track of all this stuff. Yeah, definitely. What should we tell people about when Grantica is coming out and when they get it and how they get it? We are aiming for an official version one release in, on October 1st. And if they want, they can go and download a beta version on uh, our website right now. Uh, I should say, though, that since it's a beta, and especially for people who are not techies, betas are traditionally buggy, right? So we would love your help in actually finding the errors and exploring parts of the user interface that are not as uh, friendly as they could be. And that would be hugely valuable. 
So people can go to grantica.co, and I'll put this in the show notes, have a look at a beta version, download it, and maybe help you out with some suggestions. Exactly, right. And we have a forum um, at forums.grantica.co uh, where people can have a conversation. And I, sh- I should say that on the, con- on the forums, we would love it to have a conversation about fiction and writing in general. Um, it's not supposed to be just about the software. That'd be cool. Great. Hey, Vikram, thanks so much for doing the call with me today. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure being on. That's it for the call today. Be sure to share this around with your friends and give me some feedback in the comments if you like. You can listen to this conversation on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. I'm Lee Schneider.